Good evening, guys. How's everybody doing? Hey, uh, Logan said there were more guys here last week. What happened? Was it, was it Logan? Was it something he said? I heard he went longer, so that might have done it. He did a good job. I got to hear him Tuesday night out at the West Campus, and uh, he's, he's uh, doing a good job. I need to worry about my job. We're going to do uh, ladies' night tonight. You ready for that? Ready for that? The women are going to be really jealous because we're going to actually cover uh, Sarah, the wife of Abraham. This is going to be a, a, it's really a good study. If you're, if you're here in the room and, and if you're like me and you have ever felt like, for whatever reason, um, your damaged goods to God, uh, you've blown it in some way, somehow, somewhere along the way, and God can't use you or... Um, you just don't think you have anything to offer, this, this lesson is going to be perfect for you. Um, and the truth is, all of us have been at that place at some point in time where we feel like we've blown it with God, we've screwed up, or maybe we just don't feel like we have what it takes to be used by God. So we're going to look at Sarah tonight. And so if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Hebrews chapter 11. And it, it's interesting that um, there's two women in this Hall of Faith in chapter 11. One is Sarah, who is the wife of Abraham. And as, as you're going to find out, she happens to be barren. Um, and then the other woman is Rahab, who happened to be a harlot. So it's kind of interesting that God chose to put those two women in this great Hall of Faith in chapter 11. But look at verse 11 and verse 12, and that's what we're going to kind of spend our time on tonight. It says, By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven, and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, if you remember last week, uh, Logan covered Abraham, and Abraham takes up a pretty big section of chapter 11, and then smack dab in the middle of it, it starts talking about Sarah. In uh, it's interesting when you go and read uh, some of the commentaries, and if you look at some of the translations, some of the uh, different versions of the scriptures, um, they make this verse, these two verses, all about Abraham. And it's kind of interesting how they get there. Um, I don't particularly agree with them, and I, and I think you can go either way. And it's all based on how you translate this, these verses, especially verse 11. So I, I'm going to read you. The New English Translation, it's called the Net Bible, and it came out, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago, maybe longer. But it's a fairly new translation of the Scriptures. Listen to what it says, the same verse. By faith, comma, even though Sarah herself was barren and he was too old, comma, he, Abraham, received the ability to procreate. Because he regarded the one who had given the promise to be trustworthy. So you see how they have taken and made it about Abraham, and Sarah's kind of an afterthought. Uh, she's just kind of the uh, convenient um, PVC pipe, so to speak, to carry the sperm of Abraham. But I, I just, I struggle with this, and, and how they get there, it, there's a phrase in verse 11 that says that, she received power to conceive, and that's where they, the debate is. And the only reason I'm telling you this is that sometimes it, it helps to study some of the commentaries just to see how Scripture has become translated or gotten translated. And so they take that phrase, receive power to conceive, and here's what it literally can be translated. This is pretty interesting. The injection or depositing of the viral, viral semen in the womb. That's a mouthful, right? Uh, that's what it means in the original language. And so what they basically are saying, it's, it's the power, Abraham received the power to deposit sperm, seed, into her womb. Now here's my first problem with that. Abraham didn't need any help depositing seed in anybody. Remember the story of Hagar? He didn't have any problem with Hagar. Hagar got pregnant. Uh, so I, he didn't have a seed problem. So he didn't, it's getting kind of graphic. Anybody uncomfortable yet? Um, <laughs> he didn't have a problem 
with sperm, okay? That's not the issue here. The issue, I believe, is about her. And so, you know, they want to take it, and because so many of the verses in chapter 11 are talking about Abraham, they feel like it's kind of a uh, detour to start talking about Sarah, and, and they'll go back and say, well, yeah, but Sarah didn't have faith. And we're going to look at some of the passages tonight. Sarah laughed when she first was told she was going to have a baby. Well, so did Abraham. So don't just throw her under the bus. They both had a problem sometimes believing. So basically what they do is they want to make Sarah just this kind of afterthought. She's, she's just nothing more than a receptacle for the seed of Abraham so that she can carry the child for Abraham. But I really don't think that's what this passage is talking about. And here's the main reason I, th I think it's about her because it starts, verse 11 starts the same way every other verse starts when it says, by faith, Sarah. As a matter of fact, it uses the uh, uh, Greek word chi, which means and or also. By faith also, Sarah did something. It's the same way it said about Enoch, same thing it said about um, Noah, Abraham. So it's, it's really about Sarah. And why this is so important is because the more I've thought about this passage, we love talking about Abraham. Abraham had faith. Abraham was a man of faith. Um, Abraham is the father, kind of the heir of righteousness. And so we know so much about Abraham, and we kind of discount Sarah. But here's what I know. If Sarah didn't participate in this, there would have been no what? Isaac. There would have been no seed, no child, no promise no Messiah, no us. Sarah's pretty important to this equation. And that's why I think this is about Sarah's faith in conjunction with Abraham's faith, but also it's a faith of her own. And one of the things we're going to learn about Sarah is that her faith grew over time. Um, that's also true of Abraham. You know, these men didn't just, bam, have complete, utter faith um, their faith had to grow. They had to go through certain circumstances, certain issues. Abraham's faith grew. Sarah's faith is going to grow. And we'll see that as we look at the passages tonight in Genesis. So I think this passage is about Sarah, and it's about her faith in God, her growing faith in God. Faith is dynamic. It's not static. It, it's, it's not like I had faith, I accepted Christ, and then it stays there. It ought to grow. It ought to change. It ought to mature, grow stronger over time. And the way our faith grows over time is through, most of the time, difficulties, trials, where we're forced to have to trust God. So we want to look in, and find out a little bit more about this. You know, what uh, we know about uh, Sarah is she was old. We also know she was beautiful. Because even when she was in her 70s, early 80s, remember, uh, they get to the land, and there's a famine in the land. God has him leave Ur. He has him go to Canaan. They get to Canaan. There's a famine. He goes to where? Egypt. When he gets to Egypt, the scriptures say, I, I Abraham, know you're beautiful. You know you're beautiful. Everybody who sees you is going to know you're beautiful. So therefore, don't tell them you're my wife. You're my sister. And of course, what happens? The Pharaoh sees her. She's beautiful. So this woman, think about that. This woman's in her 70s. And she's smoking hot. I mean, I haven't seen too many of those. Um, my wife will be. Uh, but she's beautiful. She's beautiful. She's old. But she's barren. Now think about that. And this is going to be hard for you to get your head around because you're all guys. But... What is the one thing that every woman should think will come very easily for her? Bearing children, right? One of my daughters, um, she and her husband tried for three years. And they're still trying to have a child. And, and of all my four daughters, she's the one that wanted a family the most. She wanted a big family. And they couldn't get pregnant, so they've adopted. But they're still trying to get pregnant. She so wants to have her own child. Every woman, I think, believes that 
it's just going to happen. It's the way they're built. It's what they're part of how they're made by God. And yet, what do we know about this, this woman? She cannot, her body is no longer able to do what should have come just naturally. And that puts her in a really awkward position. And it puts her in a really awkward position because she knows, her husband has told her over and over again that God has told me that I'm going to be the father of a multitude of nations. And, and I can just see Abraham kind of staring at her, you know, like, so get your act together. You're holding up this whole program because you, you can't get pregnant. And can you imagine the weight that this woman carried around that, man, God keeps telling my husband this is going to happen, and I'm, I'm old and I'm barren, and I can't do a blessed thing about it. I can't go to the doctor, the infertility doctor. I can't, other than what? Just wait. Just wait. So I, I think this passage is all about Sarah and all about her having to learn to have faith in God because she faced some really dire circumstances. And I think she took it all personally. That it's, I'm the problem in this whole equation. The reason we've waited so many years and we still don't have a son and the promise has not been fulfilled is because I'm holding up the train. I'm unworthy, incapable. I'm damaged goods. And I think that's part of the reason she said, go into my handmaiden. Just, let's just get moving because I can't have a child. Go have it by her. She's so defeated. She's so scared. She's so wondering, what is God doing? Why is this happening to me? But we're going to see her faith grow over time. So I want you to flip back to Genesis chapter 16. We're going to go back into the Old Testament and get a little bit more context about her life. Genesis chapter 16, starting in verse 1. You know, we, we really do forget, guys, that uh, faith is dynamic. It's, it should always be growing. It should always be increasing. It is not a static thing. And her faith was going to have to increase it, because she didn't always believe God. Where do we get that? Well, look at verse 1 of chapter 16 of Genesis. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Uh, I love how Moses pins this. It's, it's just kind of like really blunt. Now, Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. It's almost like he's saying, get your act together. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar, and Sarai said to Abraham, behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Who did she blame her problem on? God. God won't let me have kids. And there's a, there's a hint of anger, frustration, that he won't let me have children. So here's my idea. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Do you catch this? It's not real subtle. It's, it's, it's kind of just a veiled slam against God. He's made me barren. He's not given us children. Maybe Hagar will. Maybe if I go in, you go into Hagar. So Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. I've always loved that verse. I want that verse on a coffee mug. Okay. Abram listened to the voice of Sarah. He didn't argue. He didn't debate. He didn't say, honey, I don't know. I don't think that's how God wants to do this. He just went, yeah, where is she? <laughs> so after Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife, and he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And again, it's, we just blow right past that, right? Can you imagine how it felt for Sarah, who had tried to conceive with her husband for a period of many years with nothing happening, and suddenly one time he has sex with her handmaiden, and bam, she's fertile myrtle. You know, she's, she's pregnant. And that has to just bear down on her like, what is wrong with me? Why has God done this to me? Well, it gets worse. When she saw that she had conceived, speaking of Hagar, she looked with contempt on her mistress. And I think she kind of went, hey, I did what you couldn't do. And your husband is going to love me more than he loves you because you couldn't do what he needed you to do. And it just made everything worse for poor Sarah. 
And so Sarah goes to Abraham and says, may the wrong done to me be on you. Isn't that like we all do? Whose idea was it in the first place? Hers. Hey, why don't you go into my handmaiden, Hagar? Bam, she gets pregnant. I can't believe you did that. <laughs> May the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to you, to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. And I, I can just see Abram going, what did I do? I just did what you told me to do. I can't do anything right. So he says, so then he says, behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. Not exactly some great wisdom on Abram's part. Then Sarah I dealt harshly with her and she fled from her. So you see that she didn't exactly have a whole lot of confidence in God. God had told her husband over and over again, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a child, you're going to have a child. She was barren, she was old, he was old. She couldn't have a child, so she comes up with plan B. I'm going to help God fulfill his will my way. Then she didn't like the way it worked out, which is typical of how it works with all of us. If, if we feel like God's delayed or God's not doing things fast enough and we jump in and we we implement our plan B to help God out, we're never happy with the results. And we usually get mad at God. Why'd you do this? And God's, you know, I didn't ask you to do that. You did it. But she obviously had no confidence in God. So skip on down to chapter 18, verse 10. God's going to speak to Abram again. And, and I, I love to picture this, this, this whole storyline of Abram, Sarah, and God. That Sarah is always on kind of the cusp. She's, she's on the outside looking in as God communicates with her husband. And then he kind of relays the information to her and she's like getting it secondhand. I'm not saying she didn't hear God, but it's like God speaking to him. He comes and tells me all that God said, and then it never seems to work out. I seem to be the holdup. So listen to what it says. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. God's very explicit. It's going to be Sarah. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. She's, she's no longer capable. She's not only barren, she's beyond the age of childbearing. Her womb has shut down. So she's got some major things going against her. So verse 12, so Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Am I, am I really going to get to have a child? And what's, what's she really saying? This isn't going to happen. This is like a sick joke on God's part. She laughs. So she has some real serious doubts about God's plan, the fact that he's going to come through. And I think a big part of what she was doing is what you and I do when we face difficulty. We look at our circumstances and we say, this is too big for God. This is too difficult. God can't do this. Remember she says, I'm old, he's old, I'm barren. This can't happen. And I've told you guys before, I, th I think one of the biggest issues we have as men and Christian men is that we view our God through our circumstances. So we look at our circumstances and we go, man, this is big. My debt is too great. My financial burden is too, too high. My marriage is too far gone. My kids are in too, far, too far gone in rebellion. Whatever it is, whatever the circumstance, we look at the circumstance and we judge our God based on our circumstance. And here's what we conclude. My God's not powerful enough. My God doesn't love me enough. He doesn't care. Or he's just kind of distant. And we base, or, or worse yet, he doesn't love me. That's why these things are happening to me, because God doesn't love me. Every one of those is a false concept of God, because you're viewing God through your circumstances. How should we really do it? We should view our circumstances through the lens of God. 
What kind of God do we have? A God who's in control, a God who loves us, a God who knows what's going on, a God who has our best interest at heart, whose will for us, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 is what? Our holiness, and we should view our circumstances always through what we know about our God. And she wasn't. What was she looking at? Well, she's, she's staring at her husband every day. He's obviously old. I don't know if she had mirrors, but she knew she was old. And the more old he got, the new, she knew she was old. She knew she was barren. She looked at her circumstances. She knew about Hagar. She got pregnant. I can't. And she started wondering about and doubting God. And that's a dangerous place for us to go. She had a very limited view of God. Either he doesn't love me because he's the one who made me barren, or he doesn't care, or he's not powerful enough. And basically her problems became greater than her God. That, that ought to hit a chord with every guy in the room because we've all done that, right? Your problems are too great for God. I met with a guy last week who's going through some real tough financial difficulties right now. And it, it's just... Um, he sat in my office and he cried and he said, man, it's just, it's so far gone. And I don't think, I don't know how this is going to work itself out. We are in such financial uh, hard times and it's putting a wedge between my wife and I. And he spilled his guts and we talked and I said, you know, man, I have been there. I've been on the edge of bankruptcy, and I know what it's like to not be able to pay your bills and have creditors calling you. And, and, and it looks so bleak and so dark. But you got to keep trusting that God knows what you're going through, and there's a reason behind what you're going through. He said, yeah, but you don't understand. I, 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 there's no money coming in. I, I, I can't work right now because I have a non-compete clause, and it's preventing me from doing what I only know how to do. And I, it's, it's, and I said, I've been there. I know what that's like. But it's so easy to doubt that God is big enough. And I told him a story that happened to me. Years ago when I was in the advertising business, it was during the period of my life when my business was about to go under and I owed so much money to so many people and I'd had all, virtually all my accounts had gone bankrupt and it was in the middle of the a real estate bust here in uh, Texas and um, I was getting calls every stinking day from somebody I owed money to, either from them, their uh, financial person or their lawyer or a credit agency. And I hated going into the office because the phone would ring and it was never good news. It was always somebody, when are you going to pay us? 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 And it made me so depressed and it so demotivated me. And one day I'm sitting in my office. I, I, I had virtually no business. I'd let all my employees go. And the phone rings. I pick it up and it's the, it's the one guy I owe the most money to. I'm like, oh, Yes. And he goes, we need to meet. Thought, okay, here we go. He's going he's gonna to sue me. He's going he's gonna to put me under. And I said, okay, I don't care what time. When do you want to meet? So, well, if you can come by the office, I need to talk to you. So I go, and I'm just like as low as I've ever been in my life. And I pull into his office. And I'm, I'm going through the what if game. What if he sues me? What if this? What, well, we're going to lose the house. Well, you know, my wife's going to leave me. Everything's going to fall apart. My kids are going to, you know, live in boxes on the curb. But it was... I was so down, so depressed. So I go in this guy's office, and he was not a believer, and he was a very harsh man. And we sat, we made small talk for a little while, and he goes, you know, you owe me a lot of money. Yeah, I know that. And he goes, but, you know, I do appreciate the fact that you've been paying me every month at least a little bit, because most of the people who owe me money, and a lot of people who owe me money, aren't paying me anything. I said, well, I'm, I'm doing the best I can. It's all I've got. And he said, well... He said, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you don't owe me anything from this point forward. And I went, what does that mean? He goes, you don't owe me anything from this point forward. I owe the guy, I think, $38,000. And he said, I'm wiping the slate clean. And I, I, I couldn't even speak. And I just started to bawl. And he said, I, I just want to thank you for your integrity that you've at least talked to me, kept me informed, tried to pay, and that means the world to me. And so from this point forward, I'm wiping off the rest of your debt. 
I walked out of that place on a different kind of cloud um, with a different view of my God. See, I'd walked in totally not even thinking about God because God had abandoned me long ago. But when I walked out, who did I have to give credit to? Wasn't that guy. He didn't even know God. I had to give it to God. And this poor woman was going through some incredible difficulty because she is being told by her husband every day that I have a promise from God that I'm going to have a multitude of children, be the father of a multitude of nations, that the Gentiles are all going to be blessed through me, and we can't have a kid. And she felt so useless, so ill-equipped. She was damaged goods. But she's going to grow in her faith. So look at chapter 18, verse 13. After she laughs and she scoffs and she says, Sheesh, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, am I ever going to have pleasure of having a kid? The Lord said to Abram, Why did Sarah laugh? And I love it that he doesn't approach Sarah. He goes to Abram and he says, Why'd your wife laugh? And why did she say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Now catch verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? You know, if I, if I were honest, and if you were honest, and if I could sit down with every guy in this room, sit across the table for you, have coffee, and say, is anything too hard for the Lord? You would say, nah. And you'd be lying through your teeth. Because you face things every day that are too hard for the Lord. How do I know that? Because you do it yourself. You don't think he's going to do anything, so you do it. You don't think he's going to bail you out, so you come up with plan B, just like Hagar, she did with Hagar. Just like Abram tried to do with Ishmael. You try to come up with plan B. He says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I'll return to you. About this time next year, he gets very specific, and Sarah shall have a son. Now, Sarah's still in the tent door listening to this. And she says, I didn't laugh. I think I'd have said the same thing to God. Kind of a stupid thing to say to God because God heard her. I, I didn't laugh because she was afraid. And God said, no, you did laugh. Yeah, I heard you. You laughed. So God confronts her doubt, confronts her fear, con confronts this, this feeling of uselessness and I'm damaged goods. And he basically tells her, you shall have a son. Sarah shall have a son. Is anything too difficult for the Lord? And the answer is No. See, what's really cool about this story is that Sarah, with all her physical problems, Sarah, with all her doubts and her disbelief and her fears, and even her anger against Hagar, her trying to help God out, she's going to play a major role in the fulfillment of God's plan. She's going to bear the child who will begin the promise that God has made. And what, what hits me, guys, is that God wants to use you to fulfill his plan on this planet. He wants to, you may think you're damaged goods, you may not think you're worthwhile, you may, may not think you have much to offer, just like she did, but God wants to use you if you'll just let him and if you'll trust him. Here's this woman, she, she's, she's a nobody. She's known as Abraham's wife. I said, when people meet me, oh, you're, you're Julie's husband. That's kind of how I'm known. She's Abraham's wife. She was a nobody. But this is going to be an incredible test for this woman because he says, I'm going to come back the same time next year and you will have a son. I still think she's struggling with, oh, I want to believe that, but I'm old. I'm barren. He's old. I just don't know. And so what you're, what you're seeing is that you've got this lady, this woman, who's everything that should be normal, that should be easy, that should happen by na just natural occurrences, having a child, has become impossible. 
Having a baby should have been a no-brainer for this woman, right? She should have had sex with her husband. She gets pregnant. She has a baby. It should have been a no-brainer, but it was, from her viewpoint, totally impossible. And now God's telling her, you're going to have a son. This time next year, you're going to have a son. She's having to learn to trust God in spite of her circumstances. And again, I can't, I can't emphasize enough that I think she's feeling like I've, I'm letting my husband down. I'm letting God down. I'm letting the future generations down because they're not even going to be born because I can't make it happen. What should have been natural and normal had become impossible. And I think she was about as down as she could possibly be. I ran across this quote. Listen to this real carefully. This is from Thomas Manton, and he, he's a a Puritan writer. But listen to what he says. Faith is to be exercised, not only in acts of worship, but in acts of your callings and the ordinary offices of life. We are to trade in faith. In other words, do your business in faith. We're to drink in faith. We're to sleep in faith. We're to study in faith. We're to preach in faith. And she was going to have to learn, have a baby in faith. What should have been normal and natural and should have just happened, because that's the way God created her body to function, she was going to have to have faith even in that. See, faith has to be exercised, and she was going to have to learn to trust God in an area that should have come naturally and normally for her. She was going to have to learn to have children as an act of faith. And that's tough. I'm not a woman, never had a baby. Don't ever plan to have one. But I'm telling you, I hate to wait for anything. I can't imagine carrying a child for nine months. I really can't. Just waiting and watching your body basically expand beyond belief and all the pain and discomfort that comes with it and knowing that something good's going to come, but before that good comes, it's going to be really painful. But this woman is having to learn to wait. Her body had betrayed her. Her body had let her down. And here's what jumps out at me when, I, when we go back and think about, um, is this about Abraham or is it about her? Is it about him receiving the power to, to give her sperm? As I said, he didn't have any problem with that. Here's the problem. Her body couldn't do anything with the sperm he gave her. Where's the weakness in this whole story? It's in her. Her body is the holdup. It's not Abram. It's, he's old, but he's still able to sire children because he's already got one. It's that her body can't do anything with the seed of her own husband. She's, she really is the holdup. But it goes back to this issue, is anything too hard for God? What's the answer? No. But we got to believe that just like she was going to have to believe that. It's a great question. Is anything too hard for God? The next time you face a difficulty, I want you to ask yourself, is anything too hard for God? And I hope you'll, at least in your heart, say, it wasn't for her. In her case, why is it so hard for me? Is this too big for God? Is it too great for God? I love what Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen says. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Do you believe that? How do you learn to believe that? You learn to believe that by actually going through circumstances where you have to trust God. He steps in, and then you learn that he is trustworthy. He did meet my need. He did bail me out of that situation. He did enter into my life. I can trust him. It goes on in verse 27. I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? What is God telling you and I? There's nothing too hard for me. You don't have a problem too big for God. You know, there's only one thing that can limit God in your life, and it's you. It's you. Through doubt, through disbelief, through refusal to take your problems to Him, she was going to learn that God is greater than her barrenness. Her barrenness was not going to be a barrier for God. God looked at her and goes, oh, I made your body. I can handle this. I can, I can work this out. I know what I'm doing. Would you just trust me? 
And even their advanced age was not going to be an issue for God. I can make this happen. I can bring this about. And it brings us back to verse 1 of chapter 11, which is our kind of working definition or description. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. See, when I think about Sarah, what, what hits me is that as long as she kept looking for and hoping for pregnancy, what was she not looking at? God. And I think sometimes we, we neglect that that may be what we think we want and what we think we need, but we aren't looking at the source of what we think we need. So as long as she was hoping for pregnancy, she wasn't hoping in God. She wasn't putting her faith and trust in God. As long as she was obsessed with being pregnant, it wasn't going to happen. And as long as she kept focusing on those things that she could see, which is her problem, her barrenness, her old age, all of those things, she overlooked God's power. And that's what we do, right? When we get into a difficult situation is we start obsessing with our problem and we stop looking at the only one who can solve the problem. Well, she was going to learn that God can be trusted. What she needed was the conviction that God's power could turn the seed of Abraham into a son. God needed to do something. This was a situation where God had to work. God had to work. And you know, it, it's uh, funny if you think about it that um, how many times, and you don't have to answer this question, but how many times do you think Abraham and Sarah had sex? A lot. All right? Now, I know that just simply because they're a husband and a wife. They're in their 70s. Over the years, they had had plenty of sex, but I think they had lots of sex thinking that, Dad Gummit, I got to get pregnant so you, I can carry the son that you're supposed to have so God's promise can be fulfilled. I think they probably did it every day. And, and, and yet, what was the result of every time they did? Nothing. How defeating would that be? Every time, and then you wait, and you wait, and nothing happens, and nothing happens. And, and so, this idea that they, they were still trying, though, they weren't giving up. She was doubtful, she was fearful, but she didn't give up, even though there was no results. So, look at chapter 21 of Genesis. Take the story just a step further. I love this part. The, the, the passage doesn't say this, but I want to put a big then in the front of it. Then the Lord visited Sarah as he said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. So it was all based on God's timing. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Good grief. I cannot imagine that. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Not in derision, but in happiness. And she said, who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. How? How did that happen? What changed? God opened her womb. God did to her as he had promised. And she bore a son. God came through. God kept his word. God kept his promise in his way, in his timing. And she was learning to trust God. She was learning to have faith in God and quit looking at your circumstances. See, I, I, again, I, I think she felt she was the issue. She was the problem. I'm holding up this, this train. I'm the one that's keeping God from working. God can't use me. But it's, nothing could have been further from the truth. It's just that God wanted to do it his way and in his timing. And God had to get her ready to be used by him and get her to begin to trust him. And I think there are guys in this room tonight who see themselves as 
damaged goods, faulty vessels, broken. Somehow you've sinned in the past or you, you've been through a divorce or you've, you've you know, I don't know. You, you, it could be anything. And you just think God can't use you. Just like I think she felt. And yet, that's exactly where God wants you to be. Understanding that you are indeed a broken vessel. As a matter of fact, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, We now have this light, the light of the gospel, the salvation through Jesus Christ in our hearts. But Paul says, We ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. See, you are a broken vessel. You are weak. You are useless in so many ways. But guess what? God still wants to use you in your brokenness, in your uselessness, in your damagedness. He wants to use you. Sarah was a fragile clay jar. Sarah was damaged. She had a faulty womb. She thought she was unusable. But faith involves realizing that God can use us in spite of us. You may think, well, I'm too old to make a difference. I'm too far gone. I've, my best years are behind me. Nothing could be further from the truth. My dad died at 93, and I think some of his most productive years were from 85 to 93. Impacting the lives of people. His time in the Word. He knew more Scripture when he died than I've ever known. He had more Scripture memorized than... I've ever memorized and could still recall it even at 93, the week he died. So we are faulty. We are damaged goods. And faith shows up best in weakness. Now, why is that such a problem for all of us in the room who are men? What do we hate about weakness? We can't stand it, right? I hate being weak. I, I, hate, I hate getting older because what comes with getting older is weakness. You can't do the things you used to be able to do. You, you don't have the strength. You don't have the stamina. You, and I hate that part. You know, you, you get around guys who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, and, you know, they'll say things like, you know, uh, uh, old age is not for the weak at heart. You know, old age is not for the young. It, it's, it's hard because we hate to be weak. We hate not to be strong. And yet, God's power is shown best when we realize our weakness and our need for him. See, all God, want, I think, wanted Sarah to do is just to realize, yeah, you, you are old. You, you do have a damaged womb. You can't bear children, but is anything too hard for me? Quit coming up with the Hagar plan. Trust me. Give me time to work. I know what I'm doing. You know, Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians, just listen to this. This foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans, and God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. Remember, dear brothers and sisters, that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose the things that the world considers foolish, you, me, in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. As a result, no one can ever boast in the presence of God. You know what's really cool about this story is Hagar looked down on Sarah because Hagar could have a baby. And she lorded that over her, and she looked down her nose at her, and she had contempt for her. But God was not done with Sarah. And who did Sarah get to bear? The child of promise. See, Ishmael wasn't the child of the promise. Isaac was. She just had to wait for God's timing. You know, Paul, Paul knew full well about what it meant to be um, weak, what it meant to be a guy who had issues and problems. He told the Corinthians in his second letter, listen to this, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We don't have any idea what this was. I think it was his pride. Uh, some people think it was his eyesight. But whatever it was, God gave him a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time God said to me, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. I don't know about you, but there's a part of that verse I can't stand. 
What do you mean your power works best in weakness? No, no, no. I, that, I don't want that part. I want it to work best in my strength. I want to operate from my strengths. But that's not how God works. My power works best in weakness. Whose weakness? My weakness. Your weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses, Paul says, so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships and persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am what? Strong. See, we, we know that verse. Some of us can even quote it. We just don't believe it. When you are weak, then you are strong. When you have need and you take it to God and say, I don't know what to do about this, will you step in and give God time to do what only God can do? Well, verse 12 says, Therefore from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains, grains of sand by the seashore. But had it not been for who, verse 12 wouldn't have taken place. Sarah. Had it not been for Sarah, and God using Sarah, and God growing Sarah's faith, this wouldn't have happened. Now you may say, well, what did Sarah do? How did she even show faith? She kept, obviously, for her to get pregnant, what did she keep doing with her husband Abraham? Having sex with Abraham. Because she got pregnant, which is why verse 11 says, she received the power to conceive, to take the seed from him and it to become the son. The answer to the promise. See, don't give up. Don't give up on God. She didn't give up. She kept believing. Even though it was a struggle, she kept believing. And I'll close with this. This is from Desiring God. It says, we have much more than a friend in Jesus. The danger in all of our talk about having a real, authentic, down-to-earth relationship with God comes when we trade the almighty, sovereign, intervening creator of the universe for a companion to chat with about life's joys and challenges. We don't really expect him to show up and change anything. We just hope he'll keep us company along the way, and I'll add to it, in our misery. Because we're all tempted to fall back into small, domesticated views of God and into small, short-sighted prayers, God wrote a book, the Bible. He gave us words to inject us again with wonder in the midst of the mundane and in the face of the unique challenges in each of our lives. See, I think God wants to do something great in your life. I think He wants to do something great in my life. And he, but part of the problem is we will not admit and acknowledge our weakness. I'm weak. You know, the guy who sat in my office this, this last week, he was forced with a decision to have to pull one of his kids out of a, a private school that he had him in, a Christian school, and it's the one school that has made the real difference in his child's life. And he was just grieving over that, you know, man, I hate to do this, but I can't afford it. I just can't, we can't, we can't afford it. I don't have the money. The money's not coming in. There's no way I can afford this. And I said, Go to the school and appeal. Oh, they're not, they're, they're all out of scholarships. They've already told me they don't have any more scholarships. There's, there, there's no way. I said, go to the school and appeal. Take a step of faith. So 10 minutes before I came down here, I got an email from him saying, and he started it out. He put his name, oh, blank of little faith. And he, he, he attached the email from the school saying, we're going back, and we're going to get more money from the board, and I'm putting your name in. Please fill out an application. Take a step of faith. Your God is greater than you think He is. Your God is more powerful than you believe He is. Take a step of faith. Trust Him. Keep doing it. I think of Sarah and Abraham, and what the phrase that comes to my mind is still crazy after all these years. They were still having sex, still hoping God was going to get them pregnant, still believing God. Keep believing God, even when your circumstances don't look like it. Don't give up. You have, you have a great God. So what impossibility are you facing right now? What are you, what are you facing that's too big for God? Have your circumstances become too big for God to handle? Man, I want to challenge you. 
let God ask you that question tonight. Is anything too difficult for me? And what should your answer be? No. Now you're going to sit there and go, yeah, but this one's, it's close. This one's up there. This one might be a little too, no, nothing's too difficult for him. But you've got to admit your weakness, admit your need, take it to him and wait on him to do what only he can do. And I'm going to guarantee you, he will do great things. Now, will he answer it the way you want it answered? Probably not. Will he answer it in the timing you want? Probably not. But that's part of how we learn to wait and trust on God. He will do it his way, his timing, and it will accomplish his will, and he will get all the glory. And you know what? When it happens, you'll want to give him the glory because you'll be so relieved. Well, there are questions, I think three questions on the table. One of you guys take the lead and uh, lead the discussion time. And, and uh, as always, be honest, open up, share. We all struggle with this, guys. But I'm telling you, there's not a guy in this room, I don't care what you've done, how heinous your background is, none of you in this room is, are damaged goods. None of you are out of the range of God using you in an incredible, mighty way. And he wants to. And he will if you just let him. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for these guys. Thank you for your willingness to use us as vessels of clay, men who are crackpots, literally crackpots. We are so damaged, and yet you have put the light of the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God in our lives, and you've given us power beyond belief, and yet we fail to tap into it because we are so busy trying to solve all our own problems our way. May we learn to grow in our faith. May we learn to step out in faith. May we bring to you all our problems, all our issues, because there is nothing too great for you. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. And you want to prove yourself strong in my life and in the life of every man in this room. May we learn to trust you because of who you are, the great, the mighty, the powerful, all-loving, all-knowing God of the universe. Bless the time around the tables, Father, and we pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.